2018, the city of San Diego purchased a former indoor skydiving building with the goal of it becoming a hub for homeless services. From a start, the plan was criticized. Not only did this location not actually house the homeless, but it still has the giant wind tunnels taking up much of the building's interior. Last week, the city's partner, Family Health Centers of San Diego, backed out of the project, saying that the partnership was unworkable, and the building, and at the center, was just a political facade. Here's what went wrong. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Gary Worth, you cover people experiencing homelessness at the San Diego Union-Tribune. A lot's been going on with this navigation center. Can you give us some context? How did it become what it is now? Um, well, as you said, it was a, a uh, indoor skydiving center, and uh, I, I think there was some technical issues with even you know making that work right so the city bought it and um, Mayor Faulkner was looking for uh, a way of connecting people who are homeless with uh, services and housing and wanted a one-stop place to do that we sort of have something like that at um, Path Connections Housing uh, downtown where where they do have a lot of services in one place uh, but that's only for clients uh, that live there. So in this case, it would be a, a walk-in place where people could come in and uh, learn about benefits that they may have. Uh, and they um, might be connected to housing and what they call housing navigators, which are people who could connect them with uh, things like housing vouchers, um, theoretically, and, and lead them to you know, housing on, or services that would overcome their, house, uh, their homelessness. So that's what the idea was from from the beginning, and uh, the city council was okay with buying it, uh, but there were some second thoughts about, is this really the right approach? Are we rushing into it? Uh, but they, they had some success uh, in con- uh, connecting people with housing, um, uh, but there was a lot of frustrations with the people who were running it. Uh, there was problems with the building from the beginning, uh, the the city allocated three hundred thousand dollars to do improvements on the building, um, and that building is uh, said to have what is it four hundred or forty thousand square feet, um, but it only has like I'm told twelve or fifteen thousand square foot of usable space because when you go in, those those wind tunnels are still there, and they had to make uh, their own adjustments to it, their own architectural changes and retrofitting to the building, like they had to put up um, safety nettings and things on the upper store, uh, stories, uh, you know, where there were hallways overlooking um, like three stories up because it was just not unsafe when you're dealing with that population. Sometimes there's people with a lot of issues. And, you know, when I went in there, when it opened, I, I saw that they had, you know, taken, you know, things in their own hands and, and did like things like that. Uh, but they did have offices, and and they, you know, it was open and running for, for a while. So, um, but there's also things like, I've heard it's leaking and there are air conditioning problems, uh, and the city gave them a runaround when they were trying to get a contractor out to to fix it. So there was a lot of frustrations I heard from the people who are operating it to the lack of support that they were getting from the city, mm-hmm. which city disputes. 
Yeah, the, the building itself uh, appears to be another example of the city making a not-so-great land deal, uh, similar to what's going on with 101 Ash Street. But um, also, when did the cracks between family health centers and the city really start to show? Can you kind of explain when the relationship started to go sour? You know, it, it, just all along, they were saying that they weren't getting support and that they were micromanaging them. And they, uh, in, in one letter from um, the CEO, she said that uh, it, it was uh, their perception that this was more about uh, public uh, relations, though. And uh, also I heard from um, Anthony White, who does uh, programs there, and he said that they, they were told that they had to have a neighborhood advisory committee uh, that would meet, and that included uh, representatives from the Padres and from East Village residents and from East Village businesses. And then people at the Housing Commission, the city's Housing Commission, wanted to go over their minutes and even edit their minutes uh, to make sure that things, you know, about people addressing concerns that they had with the building or discrepancies in data uh, you know, weren't in the minutes. Uh, and they, Anthony told me that they, were, they pushed back on, on that. But he thought that that was an example of them micromanaging and more concerned about the, the image of, uh, of how it looked and, uh, rather than of really trying to solve that or be really committed to what their mission was. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, uh, what are the things that the city says that uh, family health centers failed to do? Well, uh, they actually did not want to get into a back and forth uh, on this, but um, the uh, COO, uh, Amy Fawcett, sent out a, uh, a statement and just said that she called their allegations laughable, um, given the progress that the region's made to reduce homelessness over the last three years. And, um, and she uh, claimed that the CEO had of, um, of family health centers uh, created what she called a toxic work environment, and she was resistant to basic oversight on a high priority initiative, and that they made ridiculous demands that were out of the scope of the contract. Uh, so a lot of this, I, th I think, just reading the back and forth was actually about contracts, uh, about them not getting the support. They were, they were still waiting for a reimbursement of, of what was it, um, um, you know, more than $200,000 uh, so that, uh, that, that they said that they're being owed. And the city is still looking at that, but they, they were, um, they've been waiting weeks uh, for a for that re reimbursement and and they said that they haven't received it yet you know that uh um that since it's open i've got uh 1360 homeless san diegans uh you know had received services there 61 people uh, moved into permanent housing they put 61 people in shelter beds uh from uh, the last reporting period from uh, started June to the end of July, 464 people were enrolled at the center, and 398 have been connected to housing navigators, which are people to um, lead people into into permanent housing. Uh, so it's not like uh, it it was something that just wasn't working. Uh, but um, you know, the again, the CEO of Family Health Center said it's not workable the way that you're trying to make us do it. So that 
that's how um, they put it, and they wanted out of the contract. And, and um, I mentioned an, an Anthony White at the at the um, Family Health Centers uh, Services. He said, no, centers. <laughs> he he said that they were surprised when uh, on last Tuesday, just as the meeting was starting, uh, they got served with um, you know a notice that their a 30-day notice that their contract was going to expire at the end of October, and um, City Housing Commission and PATH people assisting the homeless um, are going to be the service providers and, and take over um, at that facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just kind of sounds like a fundamental disagreement on how to manage the service is kind of the root of the, you know, disagreement combined with the inherent problems of the building that obviously wasn't uh, the best location for this kind of, you know, place that meant, you know, is meant to solve homelessness, you would imagine that at least there would be some housing in uh, a building like that. Oh, yeah, you know, that that was one of the issues that there there is, is no housing. But, uh, you know, to step back, uh, I, I don't know if you can compare this to like an Ash Tree Street type of fiasco where you can't even move into the building because, uh, you know, it's obviously not ideal to, that you've got a giant turbine in the middle of the building that used to, was supposed to be for indoor skydiving. Uh, but the city looked at it as like a good location because it was right where a lot of homeless people are. Uh, uh, there are services around them. Uh, this was a, uh, in, in a way, a good location and the building was up for grabs. So it wasn't something that they had to like build from scratch. So, you know, they bought it without a, uh, an, um, an appraisal, but you know the appraisal did come back in their favor that uh, you know they didn't pay too much for it. Um, so um, they're going to move into it and they're going to try to replicate what has been going on at the convention center. So at the convention center, um, they uh, oh uh, also they're changing the name to it. I, I should mention uh, get this right. It's going to be called the. Um, uh, the uh, Homeless Response Center. Uh, so uh, they had found permanent housing for 668 people uh, at the convention center just since that shelter had opened. So uh, they were working with people who um, were there, staying, uh, you know, like more than a thousand people under one roof. Uh, they were able to communicate with them daily, uh, hourly. Uh, they also know where they are. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the frustrating things that the service providers there found out was that uh, sometimes you just would lose track of somebody and somebody would be matched with, uh, you know, a voucher, but that, that you didn't know where he was. And, uh, you know, they, they couldn't find him and then he would lose the opportunity to have that voucher. So by staying in contact, uh, by streamlining uh, systems, um, by having everyone in one place, uh, they say that they've had a, uh, a better year housing people than they've ever had uh, before connecting people to housing. And there's going to be more people who are being, um, get, you know, uh, by the time it closes, uh, there'll probably be some more people because there's a lot of people already with housing navigators or with, uh, with housing vouchers, and, um, and they, they might be moving into permanent housing. Uh, so the plan is that now we have a better system of 
doing this now. So convention center is going to close, but let's not lose this momentum and lose the uh, lessons that we've learned. Uh, oh, look, the housing navigation center is basically across the street. You know, it's like, that's where we can replicate this. You know, we say it's still right where people, homeless people are. And so, uh, and, and uh, you know, the uh, family health, they want out. Uh, so it's a win-win, you know, the city might look at it. It was like, we have a place to replicate this. They don't want to be there anymore anyway. Uh, so they're, they're going to move in now. Uh, it's like, will they have the same success as they had there? So Anthony said, uh, good luck uh, with that. But it's one thing to have a drop-in service where people who are sleeping on the streets or maybe in different shelters just show up and you try to match them and you're going to have the same problems as you had before where you might lose track of these people. Um, but uh, you know, the people at the city said, well, we're not just dealing with people who are living here in the uh, convention center. We've we dealt with other shelters. Uh, we're doing outreach, uh, though, so uh, we will be able to serve people without having beds, uh, you know, under the same roof. So we'll wait and see, right? Go uh, and good luck. It's like everyone wants uh, to get people off the street and the services that they need, and this is going to be the new approach. Uh, but mm -hmm. it was not, um, you know, a a, a pleasant divorce between um, between the two sides. In the meantime, you know mm -hmm. that, uh, and there's there's still there until the the end of the month, uh, and also people are going to start moving out of the convention center in December, and 400 of them are going to move into two new apartment buildings, no hotels uh, that are being converted into housing and apartments. Um, well, the other people are going to move back into the bridge shelters, but on a more scaled back um, uh, you know, way. So, because as you probably remember, they closed the bridge shelters at this, mm -hmm. you know, because of the pandemic, and they, they thought we can't have this many people, and uh, you know, in a, in a big tent. But you know, scale back the numbers, test people, like they're doing at the convention center, and and uh, they think it will be safe. And actually, the convention center has not had an outbreak. They've been very, very low. I think I saw like 0.2% of the people had had infections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like the pandemic has provided a strange silver lining in which it forced the city and uh, homeless services to really focus on finding a solution fast and making it effective. Um, are leaders confident that they're able to continue this momentum in the future when, you know, in a post-pandemic world, this pressure won't be there? Oh, yeah, I would say that's what they're saying, uh, because they're saying, look, you know, we have come up with uh, a new way of, of, uh, of connecting people with, with housing. And uh, well, that's one. That's one thing. It's like they they had an approach that was just called clear the room. Where rather than like you work with one person and go down the line and then work with someone else again, you work with people, you know, uh, a good number of people at one time because you've got all of uh, these service providers and all of these um, people who do benefits for them all in one place. Uh, so they think that they can continue to doing that. Uh, and at the same time, the Housing Commission, uh, you know, Rick Gentry, the head of the Housing Commission, um, 
he was pretty excited about what he was calling uh, a real out-of-the-box um, uh, way of, um, of, of trying to get housing quickly, where you know they, they looked at a lot of buildings uh, that they might be able to buy and convert, and they've done that before. But what they uh, were looking for now it's like buildings that are in really good shape and already have kitchenettes in them. And if we can get support from the state or other ways of buying them, um, they could be up and running in months rather than years. Uh, like it, it takes a couple of years uh, sometimes to uh, you know, get a building identified and maybe refurbished or built from scratch. Uh, but uh, that's what they're, they're looking at, at doing now is a new approach. So yeah, a couple of things that are promising. One is um, find a new way of quickly finding housing uh, to get people, um, you know, permanently housed, and then finding people who, you know, replicating the system that they said is more effective. Uh, though, so yeah, I, uh, that's what you know they're looking forward after this pandemic. Uh, both of these were looked at as like silver linings, uh, though that uh, the state had provided. Uh, a new funding source to buy buildings, uh, though specifically, you know, um, driven by the pandemic and, you know, the convention center shelter opened because of the pandemic and then they came up with this new way of doing it. And yeah, uh, uh, again, to add to what you were saying, they do hope that after the pandemic, um, whenever that ends, uh, that they've, they've got a few things in, in place now that um, could hopefully be more promising for addressing homelessness. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, is there uh, a worry that, you know, as the pandemic continues and there's no clear end in sight, that more and more people will be pushed into homelessness because of the economic conditions? Is that a part of the conversation? That is on everyone's mind, uh, though, as uh, uh, and as it's something that hopefully won't happen. That's why there have, have been uh, moratoriums on evictions. Uh, it's... Uh, but also it's important to know that just because you get evicted doesn't mean you become homeless, although a percent of people who uh, get evicted do become homeless. And I recently wrote about that. Um, but if, you know, I've been covering, um, you know, the pandemic outbreak for most of this year, and I've, I've seen, you know, policies change and people make adjustments uh, to things. and. I don't know what's around the corner and I don't think anyone does. So if, you know, we get a vaccine, then, you know, things might improve a lot faster. And, uh, you know, who knows what it's going to take to get people back to work. And that's the, the big issue. Right. And, um, you know, we are still so, you know, in an area where there's so much unknown, but from the very beginning, though, people were saying this could, really spike homelessness uh, because you have this many people out of work uh, one thing leads to another you can't pay your rent but then again it's like if a lot of people can't pay their rent uh, then the landlords aren't going to find that many other people to, to rent to uh, so it doesn't make sense to just evict somebody uh, when you don't have another client because so many people are out of work um, and that's another reality and that's what i've heard it's like well yes, hopefully landlords will work with people who won't be you know, just evictions uh, right away because uh, of that very reason that there's too many people out of work. And 
Uh, but you know, it's just reality. It's like if this goes on and on and on, you know, it's like we're all afraid. What's gonna, what's going to happen? And I don't know. But yeah, it's it's been it's been something that's been discussed. But um, there's been a back and forth about uh, just that. You know, uh, so at least people is, are, have been thinking about it from the very beginning. You know, it's like we we can't let that happen. It's like we can't let just you know. Uh, spike and almost has happened just because of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. All right, Gary Worth, thank you so much. All right, thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. As voting begins in San Diego County, follow the Union Tribune for all the news about local races. If you're curious about a specific issue and want to read more, check out our elections dashboard. You'll find it midway down our homepage and featured prominently on our app. Until next time.